Good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you on this uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, I said that to someone this morning when uh, they walked in and they saw the palm fronds, which are over there, and uh, you'll be getting in a few moments, and someone was like, what? Palm Sunday already? Yeah, I think that's how many of us feel. This is Holy Week, and a uh, lot to look forward to uh, as we prepare for Good Friday and Easter. Uh, we are in the Paradox series, and this morning, as you can see by the screen, we are looking at the Paradox of hope and grief. But I want to give you a fair warning this morning. I do not intend to speak about hope, but instead to communicate primarily about grief. So I'm only addressing that particular side of the paradox. So you're not going to get any like helpful tips or, you know, insights on the mystery of how somehow those two things are divinely connected in a way that uh, we don't quite understand. Uh, but my intent this morning is to look at the idea of grief and how the scriptures may speak to it. And part of why I feel drawn to this is because we in the church globally and specifically in North America have a pretty underdeveloped theology of loss. We do not like to speak often to subjects like anger or we turn a blind eye to things like depression. We sweep loss under the rug. We try to pretend none of that is there, and we'd much rather discuss praise than we would to talk about lament. And the truth is, grief has a significant role to play in our discipleship, in our ability to follow Jesus. It is a significant aspect of our faith. So much so that Lamentations, a whole book in the scriptures, is dedicated to this idea of grief and loss written by the prophet Jeremiah. We also know that 70% of all the psalms are psalms of lament that do not come to easy resolution. They're ones that often like leave this space where you're just like, man, how did that finish? Or what did that particular person feel as they wrote that psalm? What we'll explore in a few minutes and what Kevin just read is also Jesus offering up prayers with loud cries and tears to the point of shedding blood. Loss is an important aspect of our discipleship. And in fact, I know many of you are familiar with the book of Job, and the book of Job is this tragic story of loss, loss of job, loss of uh, status, loss of income, loss of family, loss of kids, the list goes on and on, loss of friendships, questioning of faith, all of that is in this book of Job. And what I find fascinating about the book of Job is that I think Job happens to all of us, just slower. So we tend to think of Job as this traumatic thing because it all happens at once. But if you were to examine your own life and begin to think about the losses you've experienced, the book of Job, you've experienced much of it. And if we were to take the collective loss in this community, it would far surpass even the experience of Job. And so this morning, 
because we all experience grief, I want to take some time to look at this particular topic. And I'm going to look at it through three things. First would be to acknowledge some realities of grief. So we'll take a little bit of time to acknowledge some realities. And the second thing, we'll consider what we can learn from Jesus to navigate grief. And then last but not least, we'll take a moment for personal reflection as we go into a time of worship and song and in communion. So this morning, I want to start with the realities of grief. And to be able to spend a little bit of time uh, tending to this, what we often try to ignore. Maybe you've heard this before. Uh, There are some realities that we just accept. This is one that many have accepted. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I don't know if you've heard that before. It's popularized by the ever-wise Kelly Clarkson. Yeah, even as I say it, you kind of hear the jingle in the back of your head. Yeah, I know. Some of you are kind of like even bouncing your head a little bit. Uh, It's well-intentioned, that phrase, but pretty much a big fat lie, right? Like, there are times maybe that's true, but that is not a wide-sweeping reality of our experience of grief. And so I personally believe it's essential for us to acknowledge some realities, and we're going to take a moment to look at these, in part because, uh, according to the Kubler-Ross model, the biggest and first kind of stage of grief is denial. It's for us to go, nope, not happening, not, we're not doing it, right? That's the initial experience of grief is denial. And so what we want to do is kind of go the opposite way and acknowledge some realities. Uh, and some of what I'm going to share this morning is from a resource called The Good Way. Uh, there's a church in Brooklyn that has put some of that material together. So the first one is this. There will be deeply felt emotions to our experience of grief. I listed a few of them up there. Sadness, anxiety, loneliness, anger, confusion, helplessness, fear, bewilderment, despair, disorientation, guilt, shame, These are just a few of what you will experience as you experience grief. And grieving involves giving ourselves permission to experience those feelings, being okay with acknowledging that that will be a natural response to loss. Second idea is this, that loss is universal and unavoidable, And it's to be human is to experience grief. There's no escaping it. Dr. Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis makes this statement. I think grief puts us in touch with our vulnerabilities. I think the feeling of grief lets us know the power of wounds to shape our stories. I think it lets us know how capable we are of having our hearts broken and our feelings hurt. I think it lets us know the link that we each have because we're human. Because we're human, we hurt. Because we're human, we have tears to cry. Because we're human, our hearts are broken. Because we're human, we understand that loss is a universal language. Everybody grieves. All of humanity grieves. All of us have setbacks, broken dreams. All of us have broken relationships or unrealized possibilities. All of us have bodies that just don't do 
what they used to do. Though grief is personal, every person grieves. Third reality for us to acknowledge, that grief is deeply personal, so there's a uniqueness with every response to loss, and no two experiences of grief will be exactly the same. Sometimes we want to compare, but no two experiences of grief, no matter how small or insignificant you think it might be or how big and devastating it is, no two experiences are the same. And grief, as we know, is heavy. Right? It comes from even the Latin word meaning heavy. It's where we get words like grave and gravity. It's where we get the word gravitas when we speak of someone who's able to carry weight with a certain dignity. These words are significant because they describe how deeply personal loss is. And your experience of grief is just that. It's your experience. It's probably best not compared to others' experiences. It's maybe best to just own an experience and accept your own grief and your own response. Fourth, fourth reality we should acknowledge is that all loss, no matter how small, gives rise to grief. All loss, no matter how small, gives rise to grief. Now, you may not notice your grief. There are times that's true. Or you may not tend to your grief, meaning you want to ignore it. You want to pretend it doesn't exist. But regardless, there is loss, and that loss is felt. And what happens when we choose to ignore it or not tend to it or push it down or try to figure out how to get rid of it we tend to store it up in us, and over time, that has significant problems. Francis Weller makes the statement, when our grief cannot be spoken, it falls into the shadow and re-arises in us as symptoms. The truth is, all of that loss must be lived and experienced. Next, Every loss of life brings the unwelcome reminder that we are finite and limited and that life is uncertain. This is a true reality we have to acknowledge, right? That these losses give rise to questions and doubts and wonderings and confusion about God's goodness and his grace. And we don't know where we fit in the grand scheme of things. And we, we wonder about the journey and mystery is part of that journey, and it is part of the experience of grief. The final reality to acknowledge this morning is this. The presence of grief does not demonstrate weakness, but rather it demonstrates that love has been felt. So the capacity to love, the capacity to show affection or belonging, all of that is inherent in the way that we have been created in the image of God. And often I will hear when people experience grief or hurt or loss or going through pain, they will speak to this idea of it as weakness rather than it as an expression of love that has been felt and lost. I think it, these realities are important for us to acknowledge 
And in order to actually kind of move beyond denial, it, it's important to say, hey, this is, these are some truths. These are some things that are, that are absolutely a part of our lived experience. And so now, now that we've kind of like acknowledged those realities, what might the story of Jesus and what might his experience with grief communicate to us about our experience with grief? Kevin read the passage where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He brings his disciples with him. There's all of his disciples around, but then he grabs three and he walks a little bit further and uh, he asks them to wait with him, to pray with him. So they begin to pray and he goes off by himself. And you've heard the story before. He comes back and they're asleep and he's like, wake up and can you pray and can you wait with me? And then he goes back and does it again. And he comes back and you're sleeping again. I need you to wait with me and then does it again, right? And there's this, like all this tension, all this emotion that's tied up in this unique story. And I think there's a few things that we can draw from it that might help us in our own experience with loss and pain. The first idea is this, that we have to pay attention to our emotions, Jesus pays attention to all of his negative emotions. The text says, And Jesus began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, his disciples, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little, little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. I think one of the ways that Jesus instructs our grief or our response to grief is that he models this ability to, to pay attention to his emotions, to be able to say, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm experiencing in the moment, and this is my response to it, right? To acknowledge that. And Jesus pays attention to it. And he doesn't, here's a few things he doesn't say. And I think what he doesn't say is maybe as, as informative and instructive as what he does say. So here are a few things that maybe you or I might be prone to say in our loss and pain that Jesus, at least it isn't recorded that he said. Um, first, he doesn't say things are hard, but I know I should be thankful. I don't know if that's ever been uttered by you or someone you know or, you know. Things are hard, but I know I should be thankful. Or this is difficult, but it could be way worse. And it's nothing compared to what so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so so -and -so are going through. And you realize every time when you do compare, you always compare to someone who's going through way more. You're not like, whoa, man, I got it good, right? Typically, it's the other way, right? So th things are difficult, but they could be way worse. He doesn't say that. He doesn't, at least it's not recorded. He doesn't say God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. I, I don't think that's in there. I haven't seen it. It might be in the Greek, but... He doesn't, doesn't say that at all. Uh, the other thing he doesn't say is that all things work together for the good of those who have taken that verse wildly out of context, right? He never says that either. 
I think there are a lot of things that Jesus expresses in this moment, but some of those things are things he does not clearly express. And I think one of the biggest mistakes we make is pretending that the pain doesn't exist. We pretend it doesn't exist. We try to, to minimize it or it, in some ways I think it's a bit of a protective mechanism, right? That if I can, if I can deny the pain, then maybe it'll go away. If I can pretend that it's not there, if I can pretend it doesn't exist, then maybe suddenly it won't exist. I think that's one significant mistake we can make in paying attention to our emotions. Another one is to actually minimize our pain, right? To acknowledge the problem, but don't admit how it's really impacting you. To be like, oh yeah, there's this thing, but never to like, allow yourself to open up enough to acknowledge that, man, that thing that I'm experiencing, that grief, that pain, that loss, like actually hurts and it matters. And it's something I'm going through and need to experience. So Jesus, instead of denying, minimizing, saying he should be thankful about his pain and his emotions, he actually pays attention to it. He's honest. He's transparent. He says to them, I'm sorrowful to the point of death. Francis Weller makes this statement about grief that I think is so powerful. He says this, grief is subversive, undermining the quiet agreement to behave and be in control of our emotions. It is an act of protest that declares our refusal to live numb and small. There's something feral about grief, something essentially outside the ordained and sanctioned behaviors of our culture. Because of that, grief is necessary to the vitality of the soul. Contrary to our fears, grief is suffused with life force. It is not a state of deadness or emotional flatness. Grief is alive, wild, untamed and cannot be domesticated. It resists the demands to remain passive and still. We move in jangled, unsettled, and riotous ways when grief takes hold of us. It is truly an emotion that rises from the soul. And if that is true of grief, it makes sense that one of the first things we can do is pay attention to it. And I think Jesus models that clearly for us. The second thing that I think can be instructive for us in the life of Jesus is confession. So Jesus confesses his grief. Again, he took with him Peter, James, and John, and he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch. So Jesus is with his disciples. He's with those who are close to him, but then he takes those who are even closer to him, kind of the inner three as they describe them at times, and he, with them, has this moment of transparency where he kind of like spills out, confesses to them, this is what I'm experiencing. This is how it feels. This is my response to it. And he's transparent and he's vulnerable. And I think that grief, something shifts in grief in a maybe an indescribable kind of way when it's expressed out loud. There's something that like, that like a weight that is lifted in a way when you can just name it, 
when you can just say it's present and here's your experience with it. Dr. Lana Leary suggests that time does not heal, but healing actually comes with validation. She makes this statement, all grief needs to be blessed. In order to be blessed, it must be heard. Someone must be present, someone who's willing to hold it by listening without judgment or comparison. And what Jesus models for us is an importance in having the space to clearly articulate one's grief, to confess it to someone who will carry it with them. The third one is he models community. And he took with him, the text says, Peter, James, and John. We talk often here about community, so I'm not going to spend time on this particular point. The big idea is it is best, grief is best experienced with others. It's most transformative when you can actually accept help from those who offer it and to lean on others that are there and supportive. So keep community close. Next, Jesus embraces mystery. Now we say here quite often this idea that mystery should be the first word in any genuine theology. But if we're talking about what it means to know the unknowable, then there is a lot of mystery in that. And for us to be so strong and certain on certain things uh, is not helpful. Embracing mystery means accepting that I only see in a room somewhat dimly lit. And that as I do that, I assume that I'm not more clever than all those who have come before me to figure out exactly how to navigate through it, right? And that there is this mystery that is present in our lives. Gordon Kaufman makes this statement. We may find a certain security in believing that our way is the only way. This is a natural part of any cultic religious experience. Far greater faith is required, however, to seek and trust that which you accept as infinite beyond your comprehension and subject to change. Today, this just may be the challenge of an educated and thinking Christian to retain a faith in the face of the mystery. And this, I think, this idea of embracing the mystery is also true of grief. I've heard it said that grief is a mystery to be lived and not a problem to be solved. Grief is a mystery to be lived and not a problem to be solved. I think the big idea behind that quote is this, that in grief, there is no timeline, right? There's no blueprint. There's no script that you follow. There's no roadmap. There's no schedule. You have no ability to go, yep, like I checked off these 10 boxes and now I know that thing's done and I'm over it, right? Grief is not like the flu. You get it, and then you just, at some point, you just get over it, and you don't know quite how that happened, but you're like, oh, that's fine. That's good. I moved on, right? It's not like that. It's much different than that. And there's no way to know how you'll experience it. There's no way to know how you're currently experiencing it. And even if you've mourned before, each time you do, it's new. Each loss is a different experience. And each time you experience loss, you're also a different person. So you're experiencing it in a new way. 
So it's okay to not know what it means. It's okay to not know where you're going. It's okay to be in the midst of it and say, I don't know how to get out. All of that is part of the mystery. And I think what Jesus does in the midst of his experience is he embraces the mystery. He doesn't give the answer right away. He doesn't say it's these three steps. He just kind of lingers in this space and accepts the reality of it. Last thing that I think Jesus models for us is to return to God over and over again. The text says, and again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. What Jesus seems to do is he goes away by himself in agony, in tears, in grief, in loss, in anticipated pain, and he comes back to his community. He comes back, reengages people, doesn't find the response he's looking for from his disciples, like, oh, please, could you have not stayed awake, right? And then goes back and returns again and prays again, and then goes back again and again, right? And the truth is, I think that's part of the experience of grief. Uh, we talk about this in when it comes to forgiveness, right? That forgiveness is something like you do, then you have to do again, then it comes up again, and then you have to do it again, and you have to do it again. When I talk with people about grief, I talk about it as waves. If you've ever been to the beach, especially when you're little or you watch a kid who's like kind of in the tide and like having a blast and then they don't realize it and they get like smacked by a wave and they fall down and then they get up and they're like, that was cool for a moment because it was different and it, it was kind of like this rush of adrenaline. They get back up, they're resteadying themselves and then they get hit again and then they come up the second time and they don't look as poised as they did the first time, you know? And then they feel like the sand's going out from under their feet because it's like coming in so that it's totally unsteady and then they get hit again. And then you're like, somebody better run over there now and grab them before all the tears start coming. That is grief, right? You, you don't know when the next wave is coming. You can't prepare for it. You feel like it, it should be over, you feel like you should be standing on solid ground now and all of a sudden it starts to like, the sand starts to drift beneath your feet and you're like, man, this feels more unsteady than it did just a couple months ago and it felt really good then or it felt better or at least I'm trying to pretend it is, but then something starts to change and the truth is over these last couple years, we all have experienced a lot of grief a lot of loss, a lot of pain. And truth be told, in my own life, there's a lot of it I haven't acknowledged yet. There's a lot of it I've like been, I'll get to that later, right? And some of it like took a real long time to kind of process and other parts kind of felt like, oh yeah, that, was, that wasn't too bad. Or that little part of it was, you know, manageable. But some of us are still carrying a lot of that unpackaged grief. And as we just heard, it rises up in symptoms. And it is rising up. In fact, I think if we're to kind of acknowledge in the pastoral world, I would suggest to you that over the first year and a half, two years or whatever, like, a lot of people are like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then now it's hitting. 
people are starting to like unpack that experience. Maybe you find yourself in the midst of unpacking it. Maybe there's parts that you're like, oh, no, no, I know I still haven't, and I don't really want to. Um, So this morning is to give us a little bit of permission to say it's important, needs to be done, and Jesus seems to model some things that can be really helpful for us in the process. And what I want us to do is to shift to this third and final point, and that is really to give us a little space to do that. Um, Drush is going to come in a moment and talk about um, the communion table, talk about the palm fronds, and just kind of invite us into that time. Um, But as she does that, I want to invite you, even before that, to just spend some time in communion as we sing. Um, Maybe you just reflect on a series of questions that are going to go on the screen. Um, We'll also email these questions out in, in the loop, so you don't have to feel like you have to get them all down, or you can take a picture of them. But as you go through Holy Week, Holy Week is obviously a time to celebrate and get excited and anticipate, but also Holy Week is filled with some pain and some grief, right? That's part of why we experience Good Friday is to like lean into that part of it, and which is why we also like try to brush over that really quick and move to Easter and celebration. And I would suggest that each of us is going through different losses at this point. And it might be good for us to spend some time this week in anticipation of the resurrection and God making all things new to first acknowledge, like, here's, here's where I'm at. And here's what I'm going through. Here's what I need. And to lean into community where that's appropriate, to lean into confession where that's appropriate, to lean on each other in the midst of this and to keep returning again and again and again to God. Let me pray with you, and then Drush is going to come and uh, prepare us for the table. God, we trust that these stories that you have lived out in real time that we capture and reflect on um, were deeply meaningful in the life of the disciples that saw and experienced you, the creator, God, walk through grief. And they lived grief in watching Jesus die and then grief in Jesus going away and leaving the task to them and then grief as they gave their very lives and were martyred for their faith. There's so many experiences of grief. God, we have been in a long season of it. I pray that you would help us to acknowledge that, that we would reflect on how you walked through one of your experiences with grief, and may it be informative for us in ours. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.